0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 416 of Sustainable Minimalists. This is a podcast about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we're discussing the nitty gritty details, the down and dirty, everything you need to know about Sustainable Investing 2.0. And I say this show is about Sustainable Investing 2.0 because this is an intermediate to advanced level discussion all about, again, sustainable investing. If you consider yourself a newbie on this topic, I've linked to our 1.0 shows on this same topic. You may want to consider going back and listening to those shows first before hitting play on this one, but up to you, your listening experience, your choice. Today's show is split into two parts. In part one, my guest and I are discussing the investment portfolio. How can you make sure that your investment portfolio is not heavily supporting the fossil fuels industry, especially since that money is just sitting there, isn't it? It's working behind the scenes. So if you put in a little bit of effort on the front end to ensure that your money is sitting there and again, working behind the scenes in a way that aligned with your environmental values, then you can just wash your hands clean of it, forget all about it, and go on living your life. So that's part one. In part two of today's show, After the Break, my guest and I are discussing two more unconventional ways, so beyond the investment portfolio, that we can, again, practice environmental sustainability with our money, with our investments. Today, I am speaking with Sheila Watamoir. She is the CEO of Radiant Global Advisory. She has a long history within the financial services sector, and I'll let her introduce herself today. I also just want to mention before we get into today's meet our content, that Sheila has a son who has a podcast all about sustainability. It's called Sustainability with Soren, and I will link to that as well in the show notes. For anyone who's listening, perhaps you have children who are interested in the planet and the environment, check out Soren's podcast. Sheila, so happy to have you on the show.
1: How are you? I'm doing great and excited to be here. Thank you so much. And it's such a pleasure to meet you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to meet you as well. Tell us
0: about yourself and your professional work and how you found yourself interested in sustainability.
1: I've been in financial services for about 20 years. And so for the first half of my career, I really focused on indexing. During my time there, I became a little bit exposed to this whole idea of sustainability when I was working with a large pension fund who really wanted to invest millions of dollars into these areas of waste and water technology and energy conservation. And I thought to myself, well, look, if this is really getting the attention of these institutional investors, there must be something to it. And so I started researching that a little bit on my own. Fast forward a few years later, I was coming back into the workforce after my second son, after my second maternity leave. And I thought to myself, well, I really want to come back and do something that can make a difference. And so that's when I started working more still in financial services, but on the sustainability side. And for the last 10 years, I've been working uh, with a company called Sustainalytics. Our company was involved with rating companies based on their environmental, social, and governance efforts. And, you know, hopefully made a real mark. The Sustainalytics was um, about three years ago bought by Morningstar, and it's now Morningstar Sustainalytics, and they're continuing the great work. Well, today we're talking about bringing
0: environmental sustainability to our investment portfolios, so to speak. And the sad fact remains that many of us listening, assuming we have investment portfolios, we're very likely funding the very industry that's warming our planet, the fossil fuels industry, of course. There was a very interesting study that I read recently, and it said that the lion's share of an American family's carbon footprint is not where you'd expect. I mean, it is in the car, it is in the trips, it is in the second home, et cetera. But the lion's share of it is in our investment portfolios. So what's step one for all of us listening to understand exactly what companies we're investing in?
1: Yeah, great question. Well, you know, maybe let me quickly define fossil fuels, just so we're all understanding exactly what that is and why it's bad. Fossil fuels include coal, oil, and natural gas, and supply about 80% of the world's energy. So that's the electricity we use, the heat, the fuel for transportation, as you mentioned, but it also feeds into the processes that make a huge range of our products, from steel to plastics. So anything that we're using that's plastic is created from using fossil fuels. So the issue with fossil fuels is that when it's burnt, they release carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gas, gas, gases, which then trap heat in our atmosphere, making them the primary contributors to global warming and climate change. So when you think of that definition fossil fuels is a bit tricky. Many tend to blame or divest or penalize only that oil and gas sector for its product of fossil fuels or for its production. But it's also many sectors that are still using and demanding the traditional sources of fuel. So for example, fossil fuels are used to create the plastics that we use in so many of our consumer goods, as well as the steel that is used across a number of it, industries from real estate to consumer goods, etc. So I believe it's important to look at All industries and understand why they're what they're doing to position themselves to reduce their own footprint, their own dependency on fossil fuels with regards to renewables and even optimizing their operations to use less fuels altogether. I think the other exciting thing here is that bodies like the SEC are working on proposals that would require all public companies, so these really large companies that are household names, to start reporting on their emissions, making it that much more transparent to people like me and you. And really, many companies are paying attention to this and at least trying to figure out their plan of action. Going back to what you were saying, what can we do? How can we better understand this? Um, what's the first step? Well, by no means am I asking people to go rummage through hundreds of pages of documents to better understand their the company's fossil fuel emissions. But one easy way is to actually look at ESG ratings. They'll help you better understand which companies are the best in class in their industry. So if you're looking in oil and gas, um, for instance, Exxon scores a more risky score than Shell and ConocoPhillips, based on at least one ratings agency, Sustainalytics. And look, you can find these scores on a variety of online resources, but one that I personally know well is my old company, Sustainalytics, where you can just go on sustainalytics.com and find the ESG ratings of those scores or of those companies and get an idea of how they're doing compared to some of their peers. Well, you mentioned ESG
0: ratings there. Talk to us as though we've never heard the acronym ESG before. What is it and why should we care?
1: Yeah, sure. So ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And what investors look at when they're considering ESG is how well a company is managing its own internal risks that the environment may pose to them or that social issues may pose to them or a lack of governance may pose to them. But they're also starting to look at, and this is very much kind of at the demand of investors and pension plans and and even everyday people and investors. There's also starting to look at what impacts that companies are having on the environment and on society. It's a two-way double materiality perspective, right? It's managing your own risks and it's also managing the risks of our world and making sure that those considerations are taking are being taken into place when operating.
0: So, who is creating the rating system to determine how well a company is doing on environmental, social, and governance issues?
1: Yeah, great question. There are a multitude of ratings agencies that look at this. As I mentioned, I came from Sustainalytics, where we were probably one of the um, first agencies to create ratings that looked at these factors. What we looked at was the disclosure, what these companies were disclosing, because the idea there is that if they're disclosing, they're held accountable for it. We're looking at the policies that they have in place, the programs they have in place, and how well um, those are actually enforced. And so typically looking at very publicly available documents and and looking at how much they're disclosing with regards to that. Other companies include MSCI, ISS. There are a number of organizations out there that create these ratings. Now, because they're relatively new, relatively 20, 25 years old, there is quite a bit of dispersion around those ratings. And that's certainly a critique in the market right now. And so increasingly, regulators are creating their own frameworks that help define some of the frameworks that are already available. There's a variety of bodies that are coming together to create standardized sustainability accounting principles in which everybody can kind of report similarly. So there is this whole evolution of standardization now that it's been out in the market and investors are paying attention to that.
0: Yeah, it sounds like if there's all these different rating scales and they're rating a wide berth of factors, Perhaps there needs to be a bit more cohesion, but you did mention the SEC's proposed regulations regarding reporting that may or may not be happening in the next few months, especially with regard to environmental impact. How do you think, um, like, like, let's assume that the SEC... Includes all of the scope, the scope three emissions as well, into the reporting these companies need to do with regard to their environmental impact. How will that change what we're discussing today?
1: Well, it will offer a lot more transparency, which is a good thing. Like I said, the disclosure is the first piece to having companies more accountable for what they're putting out there. But then there's going to be a lot that goes into actually improving that emissions profile, especially of companies in certain sectors. And so I don't know if it'll change the conversation tremendously. Fossil fuels is still a highly utilized um, substance. And surely, and we'll, we'll talk about this, I think, a little bit later, some of the efforts that are being innovated around, but surely we're going to have to slowly but surely come up with new ways To balance that, balance it such that we're not fully dependent or not as dependent on fossil fuels, that there are other ways of um, countering those. But again, disclosure is the first piece. And I think it's actually moving us and propelling us in the right direction. Mm -hmm.
0: So I totally hear your point that fossil fuels will run our modern lives. They're in sneaky places. (laughs) However, for a listener who's listening right now and they're saying to themselves, I don't want to support this industry (laughs) with my dollars as much as I can help it, assuming they have a financial planner, perhaps they don't, how would they go about divesting from the funds that are not aligned with their values and finding one that is more environmentally conscious?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And there are options out there, especially over the last six to seven years, there's increasing numbers of investment vehicles that really focus on companies that are aligned with exactly your own values, your own personalized interests. And that is the beauty about sustainable investing, by the way. It's a very personal approach to investing, and it captures so many different topics. So to one person, fossil fuels might be important. To someone else, going ex-tobacco might be important. And to somebody else, women in leadership may be important. So you can really find an array of things. There. But again, I think that it's really important to look at a fund's mandate, right? Like look at what it's trying to capture there. If you are really looking to capture a particular theme like ex-fossil fuels. You can find that in by either speaking to the fund manager or just simply looking online at a particular fund's mandate and prospectus, and it'll talk about how they're divesting out of certain areas, what they're doing to divest out of certain areas. I think the most important thing here is to certainly understand, one, that sustainability or ESG criteria should really be one criteria or one consideration amongst many that you use to choose your investment vehicles, particularly based on your own risk tolerance profile. So once you've been able to identify what it is that you're looking for, what types of stocks or funds align with your values, you can certainly find a plethora of places to find the right mutual funds. So for example, most major fund companies or brokerage houses, Fidelity, um, Vanguard, State Street, BlackRock, iShares, Nuveen, vesco they will all have a sustainability offering that you can look through and again, determine what is best for what you're looking for. And then you can also go on a variety of ESG fund screeners, either on Morningstar.com, another shout out to my old company, but also on ETF.com. They have a great screener tool. So when looking at companies that are still well diversified, still exposed to all different um, sectors, including kind of oil and gas, you could look at an example like iShares ESG Aware MSCI USA ETF, which tracks the S&P 500, and captures companies that have positive environmental, social, and governance characteristics, or the KLD 400 social ETF, again, very similar, but looks at a more best-in-class ap- approach, who are the best oil and gas companies, who are the best transportation companies, who are the best auto companies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, across the board in a diversified way. But for people who are looking for something far more nuanced and thematic, some examples are the Vanguard ESG U.S. Stock ETF, which is more based on exclusionary principles and takes away companies that are deriving revenues from areas such as controversial weapons, civilian firearms, nuclear power, fossil fuels, tobacco, cannabis, um, alcohol, gambling, and adult entertainment. There's also um, the X-Trackers MSCI USA Climate Action Equity ETF, which looks at companies that are very proactively contributing to a more positive climate economy. There's U.S. Vegan Climate ETF for those who really want to hone in on um, aligning with kind of vegan values. There's Invesco Solar ETF. And there's the State Street Spider um, USA Gender Diversity ETF, cleverly um Ticker is she, S-H-E, to really kind of um, capture companies that have women in senior leadership and on the board. So as you can see, there is just a wide array of sustainability ETFs or mutual funds that take a little bit of work to find, but can really closely align to what you're looking to drive your capital towards.
0: Yeah, I think. What I hear you saying, the take-home message, is that if you haven't taken a look at your investment portfolio in a while, if you're just starting the creation of one, there's definitely tools. Maybe the tools are in their infancy and maybe they can be curated a bit more, but there are tools to help you invest in your values, I think is what you're saying.
1: That's exactly right, Stephanie. I mean, it's getting better and better. And most of the fund houses right now, like I said, offer that as an option. And will sometimes even provide the sustainability characteristics of their general funds, which is also interesting to see.
0: Well, we're going to take our break, Sheila. But when we come back, I want to talk to you about Two unconventional ways, I would say, that we can frame the sustainability in investing conversation. So how else can we be environmentally sustainable in our investments? We'll get there after a quick sponsor break. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Sheila Watamoir. She is the CEO of Radiant Global Advisory. It is an independent advisory service that works with companies on sustainable solutions. She's also the founder of Sustainable Me. So for listeners, maybe you're not in charge of a company, you should be checking out Sustainable Me. And before the break, Sheila did an excellent job breaking down the environmentally- leaning, environmentally conscious ways that we can invest our money, now we would love to transition into some maybe non-conventional ways. The first is those proxy ballots that come in the mail. (laughs) The ones we get are very thick bulletins. Talk to me about proxy ballots, why we get them, what they mean, why we should not just be throwing them in the trash, and why we should actually be voting. Tell me all of that.
1: Sure. So look, proxy ballots, it's, it's your opportunity to vote as a shareholder on issues that you think are important for a company. It's a lot of information, certainly, but like everything, every vote matters. And it's like anything else, one person at a time can add up to a lot of action. So if one person at a time started conserving water, eventually we'd get a critical mass that starts to make a difference. It's the same for voting. It's helping a company better understand what's most important to you as both an investor and a customer. So oftentimes, even when a particular shareholder resolution doesn't pass, companies hear it. They know that this is something that investors or customers are looking for, and that's just another reason that it's important to vote. I will also say that the number of ENS, so environmental and social resolutions on ballots, on proxies around topics like climate change and emissions reporting, diversity, equity, inclusion policies, and so forth has really increased over the last few years. In fact, even just from 2022 to 2023, there were 23% more ENS resolutions posted. So investors are voicing that shareholder proposals are important to them. Um, I'll give you one quick example. This year, shareholders voted for Nike to report on median pay gaps across race and gender, and that was one that actually passed. So again, not all of them pass, but there are those few important ones that really do. And for people who are, you know, who want to make it a little bit more simpler, They can find a whole list of shareholder resolutions quite easily at websites like com or the UN Principles of Responsible Investing Resolution Database, where they really do make those shareholder resolutions. They list them out, they make them easy, and they can even tell you which ones are filed right now, which ones are solved for, which can still be voted on and so forth. And finally, I'll just mention one more thing. The importance of stewardship is really being recognized by so many. So even large fund managers like Vanguard and State Street, which many of us hold Vanguard or State Street or Fidelity funds, they are increasingly fostering programs. Where they want their investors, investors just like me and you to be stewards of their own investments and are offering platforms for us to be able to um, be a part of their voting process through um, the companies owned in our funds. So, you know, again, there's, there's increasingly a lot of focus in this area.
0: Yeah. In an email you had sent me previously, you had mentioned that one of the latest Amazon vote bulletins. So if you are a shareholder of, Amazon stock, the bulletin had a vote to disclose, to disclose or to not disclose more information on Amazon's approach to reducing plastic waste. That would definitely be one that is applicable to our conversation. And and you can make the argument that if you are a shareholder in a company, it's your responsibility to send back that postcard so that you are having your voice heard and the company is aligned with
1: your values. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, you want to be part of the vote. You hope that it goes your way. But even if it doesn't, your voice was heard. You're, you voiced your opinion. You were that responsible investor as, as part of your ownership.
0: Okay, so I'm saying this out loud. I'm no longer going to throw the bulletin and the postcard in the recycle bin. I'm going to look at them. Thank you for that encouragement. I'd love to now transition one more time and talk about the innovations that are popping up here, there, and everywhere with regard to reducing waste, solving our climate change woes, I mean, mushroom plants creating plant-based leathers, sugarcane leaves making that compostable dinnerware, right? Instead of the plastic plate, now we've got sugarcane leaf disposable plates. I mean, there's a lot of innovations happening. And you would suggest, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that we consider investing in some of these Opportunities that again are really in the grand scheme of things in their infancy, these new technologies. Why should we consider investing in these opportunities, even though they're in their infancy and therefore may be risky?
1: Yeah. It's a great question. And look, all those things you mentioned, they're fun. So it's easy to be attracted (laughs) to those types of investments. But look, at no point am I suggesting anybody should make any particular investments. Again, I go back to it's really based on your risk profile. And I always suggest that, you know, one does speak to a financial expert or advisor to really understand what, where and when they should invest in certain areas. This falls under the a bucket of alternative investing, which like you said, can be risky. So at the least, I think people should consider learning about these opportunities. Maybe I'll say that. And if indeed one is looking for alternative investing pathways, sustainability is a very interesting area, as there's a lot of very interesting and scalable innovation going on. Um, what I particularly love about the innovation going on in the sustainability space is that Yes, it's sustainable, but also oftentimes it's simply the next great pathway forward. It's just the next-gen way that we create things. So I'll give you a few examples that I really um, am excited about right now. Um, One is green. this concept of green concrete. So traditional concrete, of course, very intensive, especially in its manufacturing, but nowadays There are more and more companies, newer companies, using biodegradable, less fossil fuel emitting materials such as hemp, mycelium, and seaweed. And in fact, hemp has the ability to further sequester carbon, so kind of take out the carbon dioxide from the air. And there are many companies that are doing this now. American Hemp would be one. Hempcrete, mica works for the mycelium being used in brick. So those are a couple of examples that are an early stage, but are certainly out there testing it. Hemp is probably one of the areas that is actually being in use. In the fashion industry, there is an uprise in plastic free clothing. So great for sustainability and wellness. Recycled textiles. So really creating textiles from used clothing and reducing kind of that impact of creating new clothing, plant-based leathers made out of materials such as mycelium, chitosan, or cork, which is based on, again, utilization of already produced bio-waste. So really kind of that could circular economy. And packaging. We talked about packaging with Amazon, but it is a really interesting space where there's a lot of alternatives to plastic. Again, mycelium and seaweed come up as emerging substances here.
0: So you're getting me excited, Sheila. There's a lot of innovation and, you know, I'm excited. I'm wondering, though, would the average financial advisor have all the information necessary? Should I go to them and say, I want to invest in one of these opportunities? Or would I have to go to someone special who perhaps specializes in this arena?
1: Yeah. Great question. I think it really does depend on the financial advisor. It is not typically in an asset allocation model that many people would look. I think at some net worth, they may start considering that. But if anything, your financial advisor may direct you to another um, person or another company that can help you with that. With that said, in that education phase, there are a lot of really great resources that you can look at to better understand, again, what is available that aligns with your particular values. And, you know, again, what are the characteristics of some of these companies? Um, So I personally, when I started looking at this, I really joined a lot of venture capital and private equity groups on LinkedIn. Just to be able to then get access to a lot of the new um, innovations coming out, learn a little bit more about it. You know, I think for those that are um, accredited investors, they can join um, venture capital groups or venture, venture capital syndicate groups like Gangels or Chloe Capital, SOSV Climate. And Stephanie, I can send you links to all of these places. And, and they can help you really acquaint yourself with a lot of different companies that are either creating new innovation, that are fundraising at this point, just so you can get a better lay of the land and start understanding how you particularly want to get into this space. Mm. Okay. So one more question
0: with regard to these new innovations, like fossil fuels, yes, they're still so... Deeply rooted and embedded in our way of life. But to me, that's the old way of doing things. I want to invest more in the new way in the future. But are there any red flags when comparing <laughs> these shiny new companies? If there are any red flags that would be a, oh, heck no, don't give your money to them.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Well, look. I, In my own consulting firm, Radiant Global Advisory, I do work with a number of startups in the impact space. And one thing that I always advise companies to do is think about and create structures around executional strategy very early on. I believe this tells investors that not only do you have a great product in the market that lends to demand characteristics seen, but also that you have a good plan in place to capture the opportunity. So for me, if a company's thinking about that executional piece early on, it's one important factor in giving me confidence that a company has strength in succeeding. So that might be great product to great product. Maybe that's one way that I think about differentiating two companies. The other thing, along with good operational and executional sense, is that I look at companies that, as I mentioned before, can create materials or products that lend to just the next way forward. So things that can be durable, scalable, and sustainable. Um, and I think you know that has a real place in the way that our economy is shaping up.
0: Well, what a conversation today, Sheila. You really dropped the knowledge on us today. Thank you so much. Listeners, that is a wrap, my friends. Show notes, oh my gosh, the show notes today have so many links and resources in them for you. So check them out. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 416. And we do have an eco tip today. Our eco tip comes from Tatum. Tatum listened to last Thursday's episode, which was all about the holiday decorations. And Tatum reached out and she said that it's important to remember something that I admittedly totally forgot to cover in that episode, which is the importance of putting your stuff away and storing it correctly. A lot of times the conversation about buying new stuff seems to forget about the fact that we buy stuff because we didn't put stuff away correctly and it broke or molded or this or that in the off season. So we got to properly care for our stuff so that they don't need to be replaced. Now, Tatum says that with regard to her home's Christmas things, she actually has three separate storage places because they live in Florida. And the soft things like the pillow covers, the tree skirt, the tablecloth, they're stored in linen bags in the house because otherwise, if they were stored in the attic, let's say they'll get moldy. She stores the heirlooms and the breakable pieces as well as the kids' Christmas books in an antique chest also in the house and all the other items are stored in those big Rubbermaid totes in the attic. Tatum also said that her husband lays all the outside lights out flat to dry and then places packing paper between the strands, which has made a huge difference in keeping them working year to year. I have never done that, Tatum, but I will try it this year. So thank you so much for all those suggestions as well as the umbrella theme to your suggestions, which of course is to take care of what you already own. Listeners, we will be back on Thursday. I will see you then. Reach out if you need me. If you have an eco tip, please send it my way. If you have an episode suggestion, please send that my way as well. I'll see you Thursday and take care.
1: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.